Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and one minute, and we expect an entire arrival. Coming up on this flight, Singapore Shanghai goes Star Wars, the Battle of Travel Planning Apps, the best and worst US airports in 2015, who abandoned three 747s at Kuala Lumpur Airport, the special Airbus Kinder chocolate eggs, Air India can pay for 787 spare parts, why Emirates might never join an alliance, the inaugural Qatar Airways A350 thinks the GFK runway is too short. China builds more than 30 airports whilst London can't decide on a runway. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 30 to Beirut. Hi, Alex. Beirut. That's a great city. Oh, yeah. That's a uh, great city. Last week, it is... A, the airport is okay. Uh, we'll talk That's about very it generous. at the end of the show. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, you know, then again, you know, Lebanon is a country of 4 million people. You cannot then That's expect true. to have like this massive airport, but the, yeah, some shortcomings. But that's it's pretty okay. Uh, so I was there last week. Uh, funnily enough, uh, while I was there, the uh, State Department released a travel warning for Lebanon. <laughs> so we had a few of the Americans that suddenly came to me and said, Paul, and said, yeah, don't worry. So to say that to people that it's actually safer than they think, uh, don't always read the news. I'm not saying that it's absolutely completely safe. We're not talking about being in Tokyo, but it's, uh, it's a pretty cool airport. And you see that in the airport, actually, because there are obviously like in these countries, a lot of people with machine guns and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about that, I found something on AngelList. It's not released yet, but that could be cool. There's a, a startup uh, which will be named My Travel Risk, uh, and they are planning to do probably an app that will show you every time you decide on a destination all the potential. Is that they, I guess it will take all these information from the State Department, from the government in the UK and all of the governments and tell you, oh, is it a safe place to go or not? And I think it's pretty interesting that someone does that. It is a good idea. I think I, when I'm going to places that are considered reasonably sketchy, you know, the, 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 <laughs> you can't always be sure hundred percent sure. Or if you just don't know, you know, a lot about the place, I check the State Department. I, I, check um the uk government site just for just for kind of common sense like don't go to this neighborhood or 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 things like that a lot of it is very cya but it's it's actually not too bad it's not a bad yeah, idea to have so consolidating no. it into a single app is a good idea yeah i think it's a good i mean we'll see how the execution flows and how it works because of course it's impossible to know at this point but i think it's a good idea instead of having to do that uh, all the time our, ourselves before prior to going to beirut i was actually in singapore for a very very short while uh always a great city of course always an amazing airport yeah. uh, although emirates which is the carrier fl flow on uh, was in terminal one which is arguably the oldest thus not the fanciest of them all but the cool thing is we're recording today on December the 16th on Wednesday, and in about 12 hours, I'm going to see uh, Star Wars. <laughs> the good, the good thing, 
the good, the cool, very cool thing it was at the airport on Terminal Two and Terminal Three, which you can walk to from Terminal One, and between there's also a SkyTrain. They had uh, a real life Tie Fighter and a real life X-wing fighter. That's so <laughs> I took cool. A, I, yeah, it's they've done an entire branding of the airport to Star Wars that runs until January. 7th, I think. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, you have on top of these two items, you also have a lot of things for kids as well and a lot of... Uh, if any airport was going to do it, it was going to be them. Yeah, it's really... And the, and the website is really, really well done as well. You can discover a lot of the events they're doing around Star Wars. I'm sure uh, since uh, it's about to be released, there'll be something as well uh, tomorrow uh, or today, because by the time we're recording, maybe actually the premiere is happening right now in Singapore. I know that in Tokyo, some friends are currently watching it, actually. Oh, wow. Bastards. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my flights with, with Emirates, but I want to listen to you because you actually ended up flying that 767 of BA that we were talking about, right? I, I did. I did two flights since our, or two trips since our last uh, conversation. I went to Dubai on Emirates and that was my first flight on Emirates in 20 years. And they, I mean, geez, that's a well-oiled machine, isn't it? Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, the physical yeah. product, I mean, the soft product is, I think, hit and miss when you have an airline that size, but man, those planes are, are really, really solid. The product is is very very good, but yes, I flew to Istanbul on on BA seven sixty seven. Why is this interesting? Well, the plane I flew back on was twenty six and a half years old. Oh wow, twenty six <laughs> and a half years old, and I think that the crew that were that were manning it, at least in the cabin, were. Um, I've been flying it since day one, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have to say, like the physical, the physical product. I mean, they compete with uh, Turkish on that route, and Turkish. If you get in one of their wide body planes, as you have experienced recently, Paul, it's it's, it's top notch. Not a twenty six year old plane isn't going to compete with that. But the service on both yeah. legs was so good, and the the you know calling you by name and. The food and drink was really, really good. I mean, there's obviously no inter- – well, they played a, they played a movies on the drop-down LCD screens, but come on. It's not yeah, 1986. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the service was – was I have to give it to BA. What they, what they don't have in physical product, they certainly make up in soft product. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was also a very memorable experience to me. So I would consider flying them again on that, uh, on the 767 before they actually being phased out because yeah. they will be phased out very I very think 2018, soon. they're going to keep those things rolling and they're, they're going to be replaced with A320s. So it's, it's like, yeah, I think I'd rather be on a, seven, a wide body 767, frankly. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, although the A320 is, uh, taking all over the routes in Europe. Yeah, We're yeah. only seeing that. It's, uh, you know, I mentioned last week, uh, the last episode, I mentioned, uh, jet lovers, which aggregates all your type of, uh, planes, aircraft you've taken. And I see the A320 is probably, probably the plane I've taken the most in my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Me too. Me too. It's a good airplane, but it's, I just don't think it, it's not going to have that same level of, Character, uh, and I don't. I don't think that the crew have the galley facilities as well to do those those same kinds of meals either. Yeah, I mean, two absolutely. two choices of food, and I was I was impressed. I was impressed. So since we're going to the Middle East to Beirut on the on the on this current flight, and that we both flown there, uh, we're going to start with a few news about uh, that region. And first of all, we said in our last episode that Albuquerque, so Qatar, was about to make an historic announcement for the air travel in the U.S. 
What was it? It was a to- like like we thought. It was a total non-event. It was as we we thought it might be. It was it was the A three fifty coming to the U S. and that was about it. But what really made the headlines from this announcement was the CEO uh, of Qatar Airways, Akbar Al Bakr, just going basically nuts on uh, <laughs> on Richard Anderson, the CEO of Delta, and he just kind of gave this huge "come at me, bro" speech and said about Anderson, let him come face to face with me in any forum. I will hang him on a wall. That's, gee, that's, I mean, that's, that, that is nothing short. That's not professional in any capacity, but that's like, wow. Uh, he's quite, he's quite the character. I mean, of course it's not professional and it's, of course it's very borderline, but to be honest, for us outsiders, it's very entertaining oh, it's to see what he comes up with. <laughs> and I think he's, he he accused um, Delta and other American airlines of swindling the American public, and it was just it was just such a weird rant. I mean, that's the only word to describe it. But uh, yeah, so it totally overshadowed this whole A three fifty thing, which really in itself is just not news at all. But. Um, we certainly and have then, not heard the end of this. And then there was a funny bit to kind of, you must have made them cringe. Of course, that A3, A350 flight at the time of taking off from JFK had an issue. Had a software <laughs> issue, it seems like. So it was it was on its takeoff run and it just ground to a halt because from what I understand, the software that's supposed to be state-of-the-art, and it sounds like it is, thought the runway was too short so it automatically slammed on the brakes and then they were like this isn't a problem they'd have to deal with much because it's a brand new airplane so they had to kind of figure out how the hell to override it and go no it's it's definitely long enough because this is a charter flight and there's not many people on it but uh, plus i mean it's unlucky for that's what i'm saying it could have made alec baker cringe because that flight was filled with media. They were all flying. Mo- most of them were flying a business class. All of them had their cameras on the, you know, so the new Airbus have these camera, the outside cameras. And on top of having the cameras in front and below, they also have a camera on the tail, which is a great thing. If you ever fly an Airbus, uh, one of the newer ones, the A380, the A350, uh, you can actually select that view when you take off or when you land. It's amazing to see the plane because you see the entire plane. You're like in a video game. But obviously, they were all filming that. And then you have plenty of videos of the plane actually suddenly breaking down on, 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 the, on, the, on the runway. It's, it's just funny. And the, and the, the guy, um, the points guy, who the guy who runs that blog was on the flight, and he was saying it went from – over 100 miles an hour to a complete stop in 15 seconds. And if you think an A350 is not a Ferrari, so it's going to take a heck of a lot of force to stop that thing. So it must have been pretty violent. And it's amazing they didn't burst any tires or anything like that. But it took them a good few hours to to reset and, and try again. And obviously, it was a, an uneventful flight home. So do you think uh, the the A350 software is smarter than pilots then? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's hard to beat a pilot's instinct. So the... I think that's uh, maybe that's a little bit of karma coming back to get uh, the the uh, the loudmouth uh, CEO of, of Qatar Airways. Uh, it's possible. Uh, so Emirates, I uh, flew Emirates uh, to multiple legs. I just told you I went to Singapore first through Dubai, obviously, and then back to Dubai. I stayed in Dubai for work, and then I went to Beirut to stay a week for work as well, and then back to Dubai back here, which actually doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense to, from Beirut to London to go to Dubai, but again, you know, when you have you know, 
Emirates has this thing that all these carriers that do point and you know these hub and spoke model have is that they they don't penalize you for having these basically multiple open jobs. Mm. Uh, so you end up you end up actually wanted to to do that even if it takes plus. I mean, let's be honest, you and me. We're never going to complain about a few more hours in a plane. So no, especially when it's, a, it's, it's someone like Emirates. <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah, the, the interesting bit though, they uh, I flew uh, the A330 uh, on my way from Dubai to Beirut, and that's a plane that is being phased out. Uh, you know, most of their planes now are triple sevens, A380s, and it's interesting because it was clearly a very one of the first versions, probably, of their A330. I say that because I was in business class, which is a very uh, uh, normal business class. It's the it's a very good business class, but it's not the a full of uh, life flat like on triple sevens, which is slightly angled or no, the A three eighty. But I could see in front the 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 first and the first cabin is totally different mm. from what we now see in all the brochures and online pictures. So it's it, it was interesting to fly an older version. There, it's still a very good product, as I told you as well in the last uh, episode. You could see that you know although the the content of the IFE is the same, the the UI was obviously much older. Yeah. The, there was no touch screen. It was harder to to get used. So they they were implementing. How did you like the? So you were now able to test that IFE that I've been talking about. Yeah, for, I mean the depth of content is extraordinary. I think the UI. I think sometimes airlines or IFE developers try a little bit too hard with the UI gimmicks, and so when you're trying to like navigate through the movies it does kind of like stick and you just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling um I, I, someone's going to crack that and figure out that you don't have to be totally you know crazy when it comes to ui design but man what did they say like 1500 channels and they would take you a year to watch all of their content or something crazy like that and i could see it i mean plus the three cameras of course you know yeah then the, you know straight down from the nose wheel and from the top of the tail it's uh, it's pretty extraordinary and uh, there was another this time interview of sir tim clark on the main channel so it's kind of a podcast like we do it's, it was pretty interesting to listen to i'll try to find the link they sometimes post them online on their website so i'll try to post the link it's for those interested about the strategy of Emirates, it's pretty interesting. And talking about strategy, one is one thing that I was thinking about when I was flying, and I told you before we recorded today, I don't think that Emirates will ever join an alliance because when you think about it, not only, of course, they don't especially need to because they're so big and they have all these routes already. They don't have as many destinations as Turkish, for instance, but they probably know that and I had this discussion. So I met Gen Kanai. Gen Kanai, we keep talking about him. He was in, in Beirut at a conference I, I was at as well. And uh, he said, yeah, but Paul, you know, at some point, maybe some other airline will start investing as much money. I mean, already we've seen Qatar and Etihad do it, but maybe there will be, I don't know, someone from uh, China. Or And I said, you know, why not maybe Bahrain with Gulf Air? Why not others? And the thought came to me that, you know what, they know that these guys are their, are their tails at some point. So mm -hmm. by they launching all those routes, those routes, those routes, those routes, they lock people like you and me in. We, don't, we cannot transfer our miles, so we kept coming back to them. And then by the time if anyone else comes and tries to disrupt them, they'll have the largest network. They'll have people locked in like you and me, locked in in a certain way, of course. And, and that's why they're not joining lives. And, and the, the best airport in the world, or best soon to be two airports in the world for doing transits. Yeah, so it's, uh, it, it actually makes sense. I was actually... By 
by the way, I was able to try. So I went out in Dubai. I don't know if you had that. And I had to register to that, the e-gates. So I could go out from uh, immigration extremely, extremely fast. I mean, I just scanned my thing and went on. You know, it's really, That's I think it's open cool. for 27, 28 countries. You can do that very quickly and register your passport if you, if you fly there. The other thing that happened to me is that they made a mistake the first time. They made a mistake with uh, my miles. When I came back, I realized mm, there are some miles missing. Uh, so I didn't use Twitter as you would have done. I simply used their online form. Uh, they actually, this is where you and me were a bit, for some reason, the fact that they missed those miles made my status remain at the lower level when I was flying, which of course, otherwise I would have been a higher level, uh, which I mean, you have, have more, more boost. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, but I mean, they were okay. They, 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 they manually, you can see on the entry, they manually corrected my miles. So, I mean, at the end, you know, I probably lo lost some boost or something, but that's okay. I mean, uh, but you, you were telling me that, do they do that on purpose? Yeah, I, 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 it happens too often. I know we fly complicated segments, but come on, this, this happens too often where it's like, oh no, something's gone wrong. You're going to have to call us. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I just mentioned that I flew the A330. Uh, the news is in, actually. So Emirates will re retire uh, some of its ancient fleets. So that includes the A330 and the A340-300. The older ones, so probably the one I took, uh, will be retired. And they will be replaced by uh, 777s, A380s, obviously. Yeah. I mean, so, it sounds like they're they're just consolidating and standardizing their fleet, which is very sensible. I, I mean, like you say, they're getting rid of 26 airplanes in 2016. They have 262 planes on order. So they're yeah, including just... Including the, the triple, the, the new 777, the, the, the 9X, 9X, right? And, and the, the 8X. 8X. Yeah. The 115 of those. So they're just, you know, wow. they'll be they'll be an exclusively A380, 777 carrier next year. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? I think you and I were talking about this. Qatar have a fleet of narrow body planes that they use for regional flights. So when I was looking to come to Beirut, and unfortunately I had to, to cancel that trip, um, from Doha, from Istanbul to Doha, Doha to Beirut was all on A320s. Um, oh, wow. And they have a they have a pretty big big fleet of those. Uh, as does Etihad. Emirates do not. Emirates is all wide body. And I wonder. I mean, it looks like that's not going to change at all. But I, you know, the, the economics seem to work out for them where they can they can do a two hour flight or even less. Yeah. And and fill a triple seven. Well, they say that part of the reason they want to retire these these uh, ancient aircraft is because of fuel efficiency. But it's true that I was surprised. I mean, you know, I, on the way back from Beirut to uh, to Dubai, so for those who don't know, it's about a four hours trips. It's a short to medium haul route. The, I, I was flying a triple seven two hundred, and I was like, hmm, "Will that? Will they be able to fill that plane?" And it was full. Wow, was that's, full. So that's meaning, unbelievable. Yeah, so meaning they really do have, you know, they really do have actually uh, people, you know, flying them. You know, it's a, I've, I couldn't check in every single aircraft uh, I've, I've taken if it was full, but it seems to be, you know, like, it's crazy. You fly from Dubai to Singapore return and you have so many flights per day. I'm like, it can't be true. It yeah. can't be all filled, but they, it seems to be. So uh, Pretty well, amazing. But, and, uh, but you found something also related to Emirates that apparently Malaysian that we've been talking about has done some kind of deal with. Yeah, the, so I think I agree with you. I, I can't see Emirates having any value in joining a alliance, but they are doing quite a lot of strategic alliances with, with airlines. And this latest one is with Malaysian. So the structure of the deal is that 
you can book a flight from KL to London, Paris, Frankfurt, all these places in Europe, and you would go via Dubai and get on an Emirates plane from there. So the benefit to Malaysian is that they can get rid of a bunch of their loss-making European routes, cut back on a number of wide bodies they have, and let Emirates pick up the slack. The obvious benefit for Emirates is that they get a bunch of feeder traffic to their mm-hmm. network out of their, their super hub in Dubai. Emirates have a similar relationship with JetBlue in the US, um, funneling out of New York. And I think that that will grow and grow and grow in the next yeah, five years. Yeah, that's a blueprint. Years. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's also similar with Qantas. Qantas is doing, you know, because interestingly, both Qatar and Qantas are part of Wine World. Yeah. At least. So you see, it's it's interesting how they, they do these agreements, even though they're already part of an alliance. I don't know if it, how it works for Miles and can you accrue Skywards Miles, which is the Emirates program or not. But it's interesting how Emirates has this kind of halo effect with other companies. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's very sensible. I think they're just this is a further layer of insulation they have against, you know, any any economic downturn or any competition. It's very sensible. The third of uh, the third of uh, the, these three Middle Eastern careers we always talk about is obviously Etihad. Uh, they just won the world's leading airline award for a seventh consecutive year. I mean, probably they deserve it because of the the hard product is, is actually really good. I'm not sure it makes sense economically, but actually, you know, it's true that it's a great product. I, have you flown them at all? Never. Or? never. I, I, I might in the in the spring, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying them. There, there was also some comments. I mean, the uh, so not Al Baker style from Qatar, but the, the CEO of Etihad uh, also downplayed a lot of what the, 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 the complaints from the U.S. carriers. He, uh, there's an interview, uh, it's, it's on skift.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. And he basically kind of downplays it. Guys, you know what? In the long term, this is what we're here for, not for the petty games. We'll win that game. So he's not as you know emphatic as Al Baker, but he basically says the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a little bit more measured. Yeah, probably. Yeah, measured is 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 the right uh, is the right term. And uh, finally, uh, if you guys are flying uh, Etihad, apparently they just opened a new lounge at JFK. So if you fly from the US. Uh, from the pictures, it looks really, yeah, really looks nice. Uh, to be honest, sometimes I'm a bit jaded is maybe not the right term, but I mean, I find that uh, Emirates uh, lounges are fantastic, but they, sh- they could be a bit more modern. Uh, they all look very standard. So that's right. By standard, I mean, they're all the same in every airport in the world. They have the same kind of sofas. So it's very consistent. Singapore Airlines do the same thing. Yeah. But they could do for us. I mean, we know, uh, and Sir Tim Clark mentioned that in the podcast uh, that was uh, in, the, in, in Flight Entertainment. They are preparing the new product. Uh, the hard product is coming up. So there will be something soon enough, probably also for the sort of, of course, the first class uh, business and all the seats and et cetera, but also maybe for the, uh, for the, uh, the, la- the lounges themselves. Yeah. Uh, talking about crazy thing, and maybe all the only one of those three airlines could do it. There's this new—I don't know if it's not even a patent. It's maybe just a project about a new fancy seat that is just out of this world. I mean, this is lunacy, right? Yeah, we can we can file this in our things that will never happen section of the show. Um, this <laughs> uh, this company called Windspeed, they're who are an aerospace engineering company have mocked up it's not even prototyped something they're calling a sky deck which is two seats that can be lifted up into a glass dome at the top of the airplane so you can sit up <laughs> you, you kind of sit in the seats and they lift up on hydraulics into this glass dome and you can 
You can look around. Don't get me wrong. This would be incredible, but it's never going to happen uh, in a million years. So I, I like looking at the animations and going, oh, maybe somebody will be crazy enough to do that. But it's just not going to happen. Talking about stuff that's no, not going to happen, there was an article that made the rounds uh, probably a few weeks ago. Uh, we were planning to talk about it in the last episode, we didn't have time, where it's titled, Here's What Makes Flying Suck and How Designers Would Fix It. And honestly, I, it's one of the things you like, guys, have you ever flown or have you ever thought about you know, the economics of air travel? So for instance, there's uh, this, uh, this guy who says, I'd upgrade the airplane interior to include a separated meditation or yoga area. And I, he would replace the carpet with tatami mats. Uh, there will be some, some kind of sense as well. What? what? I know. These, <laughs> these, these articles drive me crazy because they're so presumptuous. They're like yeah. this, you know. Here's what makes flying suck, and how designers would fix it. It's such a, it's so misleading. It's uh, these are the things that irritate the one percent, you know, who are so yeah, far exactly. up First their own rear end. Yeah, it's mass. It's just it, they're just in, the most infuriating things in the entire world to read because they they show no understanding of of how airlines work, of how airline uh, aircraft design works. Well, yeah, and they, they, they don't also think about not only the, the economics, I mean, repl- putting a yoga area. I mean, you know, but then again, some might argue that there's a lounge, uh, you know, bar in Emirates. But I mean, these are like exceptions. This other person talks about something very more simple. He said all the tray tables should be, you know, uh, disposable. So basically, when we enter the plane, we should just take a tray table and carry our own tray table to our seat. What the hell? Can you imagine <laughs> the nightmare scenario that would cause? Like, it would be like, going through a cafeteria and you grab your own tray and then you have to click it in it's just it's just so silicon valley this article it's in wired so it's appropriate and it's 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 embarrassing to read how bad yeah, these ideas is. are I will, I will put the link uh, browse through it honestly it's almost none of these things make sense but of course then people you know tweet and facebook and etc because obviously that would be so great but i don't think they've ever realize how uh, the economics of air travel work because it just doesn't the, work. the top comment on this is this article is a joke right it, this is the famous thanksgiving day joke because you really had me for a moment and i think that uh, that's kind of how we all felt i'm gonna say the only one that makes sense the last one is uh, a guy called Raymond bessemer he says something about you know having to decide for instance at what time the food can could be delivered I'm not saying that it could happen. I'm saying this is something that is more reasonable. We see that some co- companies in premium allow you to choose the time. We see, for instance, uh, low cost, uh, easy judges. You basically, you know, you, you buy your sandwich whenever you want to buy your sandwich, if you want to buy a sandwich. So maybe that's the only reasonable thing. The rest is honestly just nonsense. Talking about <laughs> nonsense, but a good nonsense, I love that you actually sent me a picture of, uh, because everybody talks Star Wars these days, it seems that the whole world is branded Star Wars nowadays, but you found an exception, what a nice exception. You bought a Kinder, uh, yeah. the egg. This is in and- Istanbul. I found, I was looking for, for some things to bring my sons back, and my youngest son, who's two and a half, is the biggest airplane aficionado i've ever met like he can with a a father like you (laughs) yeah it's kind of an inevitability right but he you know his his ability to uh you know he can identify different airliners and he can you know he's amazing and i wanted to get him something plane related and weirdly at istanbul airport there's no way to get anything turkish airlines related which i thought was weird but anyway there is this airport exclusive 
kinder thing, which is five kinder eggs. And they've teamed up with Airbus. And inside each of the eggs is an A330 model with, I think it's uh, Asiana, Turkish, uh, SAS, a kinder livery one, and an, and an Airbus house colors one. And they're they're really like high quality. I was amazed how how because usually the stuff that comes out of those is pretty good crap. But they were they were really really well done, and I thought it was it was cool. and of course my son just absolutely loves it. So I, what a neat a little partnership! Idea. And you can only get it at airports. So next time you're transiting through any major airport, have a look for them because they're they're really neat, and they'll make uh, they'll make the the airline enthusiasts in your life very happy at Christmas. Oh, so I'll be on the lookout at Heathrow. I'm flying to Geneva. To there you go. Yeah, I'm there. sure so they'll have it. I'm sure they'll have it. I want one of those. I mean, I'm not two year old, but I still want one of those. <laughs> I'll, even though the entire collection or something, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm not going to do a full review, but uh, during this this trip I've taken, uh, this, I said to myself, we always talk about TripIt, and we keep using TripIt as our main application for travel planning because it works really well. And I said, but there are others in the market, so I'm going to give them a shot. So I tried many, like too many, honestly. So I had like 25 notifications at every change or anything. But the main ones I'm going to mention were TripCase yep. uh, by Sabre, WorldMate, and actually kayak itself. I'll get to that in, in a minute. So all these work the same way as TripIt. You can send your uh, email directly to the service and it creates a route for you. You can even send your hotel details as well. This is what we call trip planning. There are many apps that do only the flight planning itself, but we're talking about something a bit more ge- uh, general. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you've tried any of those, if, if you will try any of those, but TripIt has actually some work to do because I always assumed that they were at top of their game. Especially since the acquisition by Concur, it hasn't seen a lot of iterations. The design is a bit passe. Yeah. It still works great. But honestly, when I look at what Tripcase, especially in WorldMate, have done, these are great apps. Have you, have you tried any of them? Yeah. In fact, like, I used Tripcase on my Dubai and my Istanbul trips, and I was really impressed because they give you some of the services, the vital services that TripIt charge you for. So, for example... Tripcase was able to tell me what gate my Emirates flight was leaving for before it even posted in the airport. Like I got a notification mm-hmm. saying it's a gate, blah. And that was a good 15 minutes before they had actually announced the gate. So TripIt trip does that, but only if you pay for it. Exactly, right. So this was free with Tripcase. And also when there was a delay that they had not announced yet, um, I got an email from, from Tripcase saying, looks like your flight's going to be delayed 30 minutes. And then 15 minutes later, they made the announcement that the flight was delayed. So that in itself is impressive. I, I think the Tripcase design is, looks a little bit, um, I don't know, like – Microsoft Enterprise Suite 2006, <laughs> but it is owned by Sabre, so that doesn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, that actually, that leads me to something really interesting with it. It has live seat maps. So yes, when you, uh, when you cool. send... When you send a plane booking uh, to by email, it automatically creates your route, and then it tells you for each flight you can press on it to have some more information about that flight, and that includes a live seat map. So it's we're not talking about seat guru, which just tells you okay these are the seats and this is where you can be seated. It tells you which seats are actually free. It even tells you because I've I've seen that for my forthcoming flight with Swiss, some of the seats at Swiss uh, in the front of economy are you have to pay a little bit more to get them, otherwise you just anywhere in economy. So they put a dollar sign on it. So it's actually really well done because if you are someone who's trying to find a good seat, 
then by just looking at that map, you're like, oh, actually, this, this seat was free. And it's actually more accurate. And that's the most amazing thing. It was, for me, more accurate than the seat maps that we're seeing on the, on the airline website. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> the downside, and I hope someone would from Tripcase, I know some people from, from Sabre, listen, the, it seems that the app sometimes struggles a bit. And that's, for me, a very big downside when it's offline. Uh, I mean, these apps should be working offline without a hitch because That's obviously... True. And TripIt does yeah. work well when it's offline. Yes, yes. Worldmate works very well. Interestingly, both Worldmate and Tripcase, when I send you notes, so Emirates offers, if you're in premium, offers you a chauffeur service. So basically a car that takes you from home to the airport and back. And these, when I sent this email uh, to all these services... Uh, TripIt was not able to recognize it. It was not able ah. to read it. Uh, but TripCase and uh, Worldmate, where Worldmate also has something nice. It tells you, oh, Paul, you forgot to book a hotel for your stay. Uh, so, for instance, in, in Beirut, a, a client had paid for the hotel, so I didn't have the booking uh, receipt. So I didn't send it, but he kept reminding me, not too, uh, too much, but he just reminded me, hey, you might want to think about a hotel. So honestly... It's a very good assistant, so I will enjoy you guys to try these other ones. I'll mention quickly Kayak, because Kayak, although Kayak is most well-known to use as a travel searching app, it includes such a feature as well, and it works pretty well, actually. I've, I've, I've added also my flights there, and it works actually pretty well. There are many others, but they all had issues, like GateGuru, for instance, had many issues and stuff. So I will just limit yourselves to try between TripIt, TripCase, and WellMate, and tell us what you think, guys. And I give these, I give these guys a lot of slack because it's not an easy nut to crack no, not so and they're all good the big, all three of them yeah, i agree because i i kept coming back to to trip it still meaning either it's muscle Me memory or you know it works but i will add that the ones that we keep talking about it it's brewing in the background is obviously google itself because google now if you use google inbox for instance which is their new email service will create the trips for you, will aggregate all the right information for you. They've added even more features like sharing the trips with someone. I could share the trip with you, Alec. And it just creates it because since he reads your emails anyway, that's what Gmail does. Yeah. It just creates these very nicely done trips. It adds them automatically to your calendar as well. So this is a big contender and this is free. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, when you think about it. I mean, it's, it's if, if anybody can crack it, that's Google. Yeah, they have the data to, to do so. Uh, back to a story that uh, we had in the past two episodes. So we said two episodes ago that the Russian airliner that uh, crashed over Egypt crashed because of a mechanical failure. Then in the previous episode, we said, oh, well, they all say it's actually a bomb. But now Egyptian authorities came back and say, nope, there's no sign of terrorism. That's weird, I don't want to believe anymore. That's right? exactly what I, 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 I don't know what to believe. Everybody has an interest in this going one way or the other, a vested interest. And, you know, you've got the Americans saying we're 90%, the Russians saying it is 3,000% terrorism, then the Egyptians saying it's not terrorism. So I don't know who's right. I don't know if we're ever going to know the truth, but it's so strange. Yeah, it is. And like you said, everybody has a vested interest or political interest. It's also probably protecting tourism for the Egyptian authorities. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what, what to trust. It's true as well. If you come back a, a few years ago, there was a, this Egypt air plane that crashed and there was always a big debate. Was it a suicide or not? You know, we talked about German wings a few months ago and the Egyptian authorities are always repeatedly said that it was not was apparently all the others said it must have been. So 
not that either is right or wrong, but say that there are always vested interests in this and probably also maybe some kind of pride as well, whether yeah. it's from Airbus itself, oh, our planes don't crash, whether it's from the Egyptian Earth, it is our, our pilots don't do mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know if we'll ever know anything. I don't know. About. Yeah, that's my worry is that we'll never know. But apparently, Charbashek will reopen for flights from the UK. That's good news, right? It is good news. Yeah, the British ambassador has made this announcement that they've uh, he, he's been given a mandate from the British government to figure out a plan to reopen flights to the UK. It sounds like ultimately it will be up to the individual airlines to make that Decide. decision if they want to continue service. But both BA and, and EasyJet have said at the very least they won't start until until next year, um, beginning of January. That's the very least. Whether they extend the the restrictions has yet to be seen. So, and I know that Thompson have also said that, and Russian Airlines are not going anywhere near it. So, I'll be really interested to see what steps they take to actually make the traveling public feel safer about flying out of Sharm El Sheikh, or whether yeah. this is just lip service. But. Yeah, this is the official government line out of the UK. Out of the UK. Yeah, we'll see what others decide, obviously. Uh, there was another flight that got diverted from another bomb threat. I mean, that keeps going. We hope to see less and less. The reason I mentioned this one is because a friend of mine was on the flight. So there was an Air France a flight from San Francisco to Paris. My friend Loic Lemur was on it. So he sends me a message. I'm in Montreal. I'm like, why are you doing in Montreal? And apparently the flight, they got, a, I think it was a phone call or something. And then they had to divert the flight, search the flight, uh, you know, ended up in like eight to 10 hours delay. It's, this is not fun. So guys, stop doing, if it's just a hoax, it's not funny. Yeah, who, just who, don't do who does that? Though, you know, the, I, then I guess and also the authorities taking some of these stuff seriously because you never know what happens. Yeah, exactly. Things, right? And you, you can't fault them for erring on the side of caution. Uh, so Loic had made it to where he was supposed to be. I actually also met him in Beirut in uh, the end. Another type of problem, this is more serious though, uh, we sadly keep mentioning India as having a problematic <laughs> air travel industry. And there's one more sign now that you found it is actually pretty staggering. Yeah, the, I don't understand how this even happens, but Air India has grounded a bunch of its 787 and it's been given a four and a half billion dollar taxpayer funded bailout and it still can't pay for spare parts to get those 787s back in the air. So basically, and this is like the long-running joke on airliners.net, that they've grounded two 787s and basically parted them out to keep the, the other eight, or I think it's <laughs> 787s in the air. And they've tried to blame it on Boeing not being able to, and, and the suppliers not being able to produce enough spare parts. And Everybody's like, do you know how many airlines operate 787s and have not had to do what you're doing? There's something not right here. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it's there's something – nefarious isn't the right word, but perhaps a little bit suspicious going on here. Yeah. Uh, it's. But I mean, again, I, I hope that at some point uh, we'll get some better news out of India. I mean, we had Inigo, which is a very good news, but it seems that the traditional – Airline industry has is suffering a lot in that country. I don't know what's it's going on. I think um, I don't know if I would uh, feel comfortable flying on Air India at the moment. It sounds like they're they're going through a really tough time. 
Talking about uh, another country that we sometimes criticize for the air travel industry is the U.S. Sorry, guys. But there are actually some good news here because it, it seems that uh, the on-time arrivals and, and departures of planes was better in 2015 than it was in 2014. So it's getting better. Yep. Uh, the best uh, ratings are from Delta, surprisingly, to be honest, Hawaiian and Alaska. And uh, I think that spirit is the one that is suffering the most. So it's, it's good news because we keep thinking that, you know, is it going worse and worse in the U.S.? Actually, it's not. So, you know, it's, 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 good. it's a good sign. Dealing that topic, there's this uh, usual kind of rankings that arrive at the end of the year by Travel Math. It talks about whether the best and worst airports in the U.S. They take into account a lot of stuff. From, of course, the on-time uh, arrival and departures we just mentioned, but other type of amenities and stuff you see in airports. <laughs> I'm so happy for you, Alex, because the worst airport in the U.S. is Newark, the one we you actually said it was probably the worst in the Western world last episode. 322nd out of 322. It's so yeah. That's that's right. That sounds about right. <laughs> sadly, sadly for New York, actually, just above uh, Newark is LaGuardia, and not very far is Kennedy. So really, the three airports in New York suffer a lot. Yeah. Uh, Washington D.C., Chicago uh, also have very bad uh, recommendations. It's true that they mix up uh, small and big airports. You've got if you look at the total ranking, only small airports obviously make it to the best because, of course, when you're a small airport, you have better chances of having on-time delivery and less crowding problem, et cetera, et cetera. So you have the first one, I'm just going to mention it. I've never been to it. Canyonlands Fields in Utah. Yeah, I'm so sure that's that the, like has one scheduled <laughs> flight a month. And it's not really fair, is it? But I think... But uh, they do, but they do uh, later on, they separate still some kind of airports according to their size. And interestingly, uh, I think the two airports that come out as uh, as major airports that come out on top are, I mean, close to the top are Atlanta and Seattle. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't been... Actually, I have been to Seattle recently. It's, it's a good functional airport. Atlanta, I've been through. It's purely a functional airport, but it seems to work. I think when an airline has a hub at an airport, they invest a lot of their own time and energy and money, frankly, into optimizing the the operation. And Atlanta, it is what it is. Um, there's there's a statistic in here that is is staggering to me. And that is, it's buried in like a paragraph. And it says, the most shocking number is the number of TSA claims filed by passengers <laughs> for lost, stolen, or damaged items. JFK was number one. Newark was number four in uh, items being yeah, mysteriously, yeah, exactly, disappearing yeah. during security screenings. That's just bad. The, the thing though that you were really also, it shows that you really know your airports, Alex, because the <laughs> part, one one part of the in the US, because I'm, I don't fly there as much as you do, but they say that the best airport for customs for immigration is Palm Beach. Oh, in Florida. Ah. And the worst is actually Miami. And I'm not surprised about Miami. No, neither am I. The worst problem with immigration is it always takes you forever. Miami's to clear. Oh, my God. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, Miami is You just mentioned about, um, you know, the TSA, but there was a ruling by the DOT just recently also that the airlines uh, in the U.S. have not been good at uh, complying with the rules about, you know, lost or damaged luggage. And uh, the DOT said, guys, the rules are the rules. You'll have to pay up now. So that's good news for customers. It, they won't be able to, I mean, we'll see how it's implemented, but 
airlines won't be able to easily escape and say, yeah, but you know, because of this and that excuse, uh, we not, or delay your compensation. If you have lost your luggage, if your luggage is missing something, if your luggage is broken or anything, you can ask for compensations and they will have to pay up. And I think that's good, good news. Yes, that is good. Honest, honestly, especially when you see stories like, I don't know if you've read that story in the Telegraph, they show a lot of videos of how some handlers are handling your luggage. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see hole. that. You, you'll never put anything in the hold again. The game is called Toss the Bag, for instance. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I'm not, sur- I- I'm not surprised because even if it's not uh, mischief, just, you know, it's an operation. I mean, do not expect that you have fragile items in the hold that will be, you know, safe. You can, the luggages go through a, a lot of tough time. But these images prove that in some airports, sadly, some people just are, have too, are maybe bored to death or something and they just play a lot with your luggages. So you, don't look at the videos if you don't want to know. Otherwise, yeah, just yeah. take a look at the show notes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bad. I hope those they got what they deserved. So, Alex, I know that um, you are a big fan of the seven four sevens as I am, but I didn't know that that you abandoned yours in the airport in Malaysia. I actually abandoned three of them. <laughs> they were just taken. I couldn't fit them in my driveway uh, in my house here in England. Uh, so, yeah, there's these there's these three seven four seven two hundred F so freighter models that have been sitting at Kuala Lumpur Airport for. Five years now, and they were, and now the the Malaysian Opera, uh, Airport Authority has said, has put an ad in a local paper saying, "Can you come what? get these things, please?" And <laughs> an ad in a paper. They don't know who they belong to. Yeah, they really cannot figure it out because they were dumped in the in 2010 by Air Atlanta Icelandic, who have kind of changed the way that they they don't basically don't exist anymore in their in that corporate entity. And then it was the ownership of them was transferred to a company called Shanji. Sunshine Cargo, which went out of business before they could ever come and get the airplanes. And so it remained a mystery until about three days ago when this company, a a Malaysian cargo carrier called Splunk and Dash, said, oh, no, no, they're ours. And the Malaysian authorities (laughs) are like, I don't think we believe you. So these guys are like (laughs) trying to like – Take ownership of these abandoned of these abandoned seven forty sevens, which haven't flown in five years and probably are, uh, you know, they're worth thirteen million bucks apparently now. The, all three of them, because of probably because of the engines and and the aluminum which they're made out of, yeah, but parts, yeah, they would have gone for three hundred eighty million dollars when they were new. So, but they, you know, the, a lot of the experts have looked at them and said no one's going to want these because they're older, inefficient engines. They're scrap. But I'll Plus take them if you don't. They haven't you, been maintained for five years. Yeah, exactly. But I, you know, if you if you need to get rid of any of them, I will. I'll I'll take them off your hands. Okay, we we, we could send a letter and say, you know what? Actually, we forgot them yeah, there oh, last those. time. So sorry. Oh, we so those. sorry. <laughs> Thanks for finding them. <laughs> I love how the the article says it's massive clutter on the on the airport. Yeah, well, talk about massive clutter. My God, I mean, we'll see. I mean, we'll follow up because it would be interesting to see if they actually find someone who actually has those planes. Uh, you know, probably, honestly, probably a company, you know, went into bankruptcy or yeah, something. I'm sure that's just, what you know, it is. Yeah, that's simply that. But I mean, the airport is doesn't know what to do with them. So it's actually pretty funny. Someone who knows what to do with all 747s, and that's actually pretty smart, is Richard Branson from Virgin. So we know that uh, Virgin Atlantic will phase out, it is phasing out the 747s instead of scrapping them. Richard Branson is planning to send them into space. Well, not exactly, right? <laughs> you know, it's a good idea. They, um, they're they taking a retired 
747-400 from Virgin Atlantic, and they are moving it over to Virgin Galactic to be a airborne launch platform for for satellites yeah. and, and small payloads. And it's really, really, uh, it's a good, it's a good idea. It's a, it's a rare good idea from Virgin Galactic. They're going to start using it in, uh, I think, a couple of years. And I've flown many, 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 many times on this particular 747. So it's so nice to see it being not retired to the desert and scrapped out, but but getting a new and very cool uh, role. The, the 747 was also the one that used to carry the space shuttle That's in the right. US. That's uh, right. Yeah, I, I saw that as a kid. It was one of the best memories. Uh, you know. So let's let's wish now. Let's call Richard Branson and let's ask for a ticket of that, that 747. Just, yeah. yeah. Just two of us, just seeing the thing and flying and seeing the that spacecraft like launching from it would be really awesome. Let's I make mean. it happen. Yeah, let's make it happen. <laughs> Talking about 747s, we know that we are both kind of very anxious and very afraid that it might disappear because no one is ordering them. But there's no hope. There's apparently this Russian company, the cargo company, that says that you might actually buy 18 of them. And 18 of them would actually, you know, make sure that it lives at least for two or three more years. Do you think it will happen, Alex? I, yeah, I think um, the 7478 is proving to be pretty popular with cargo operators simply because it's the only large capacity cargo plane available. Obviously, there's no A380 version. And while a lot of the the older passenger 747-400s are going to come off their passenger duties and get converted, they're still not going to be anywhere near as efficient as a 747-800. So it seems like this could breathe new life into it. I mean, obviously, being cargo, we're not going to get a chance to experience it. And I don't think that there's any open orders for for the, the passenger eight version, no. version uh, the passenger version no. of the eight. So, but you know what? No. That's okay. As long as they're still being made and they're still in the sky, I'm okay. Yeah, as long as the line, the production line is still open, it means there's always a chance of someone who would someone will go. You know what? Give me, give me sixty five of them. <laughs> uh, by the way, that that guy is the same who has for, forgotten his planes on the airport in Malaysia. It's, his name is Alexander. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, but by the way, interestingly, in that story. Uh, we know there's this big spat we mentioned about the U.S. and the Middle East, and one of the casualty of that spat was the uh, the financing. So the, there's the Import Export Bank, which yes. is a, mecha, a bank in the U.S. that allows to get if you are a foreign buyer, you get credit lines in the U.S. And Boeing was uh, very much using this, of course, to sell their planes to uh, um, foreign clients. And that deal we just mentioned with that Russian company is tricky because that import-export bank is being blocked right now by Congress. So guys in Congress, I know there's a lot of like spats with a lot of countries in the world, but I mean, you're hurting a Boeing by not, you know, opening yeah. these lines of credit. I, you, should I, be I, you would assume that Boeing and every other heavy manufacturer in the U.S. that is de- dependent on exports has got enough lobbying dollars to make sure that this doesn't get blocked for too long. But the fact that it's being blocked at all is ludicrous, frankly. This is a sad casualty of this old lobbying thing that is happening right now. But And I remember, I think the, the Boeing CEO, chairman, I don't remember who was it, he said that, you know what, we might actually put our operations outside of the U.S. Yeah. I don't think it will happen, but they are really threat. angry about it because it's, a, you know, 18 planes and not talking about all the triple sevens, all the, the Dreamliners that are being bought, not having this, the, this system of financing is actually really hurting Boeing. And this might be the reason why 
Airbus is actually seems to have more orders now than Boeing because Airbus, you know, there's a similar system of financing in Europe. So maybe, you know, I don't know. So guys in the US, you should, you should wake up if you want Boeing to continue to thrive as they've done until now. Talking about travel, uh, have you seen that guy who is an illustrator and he a drone is experience of flying uh, from New York to Berlin? It's so Berlin. good. It's like a minute by minute caricature of his entire experience. And it is so funny and so well done. And not like cynical and snarky as it could be. It's it's really nice. It's really it's well done. endearing, yeah. Yeah. It's endearing it very true. It sounds oh, like yeah. something you've experienced. He, he he gets all the little kind of nuanced irritations that happen when you're when you're traveling, but does them in a very funny way. So take five minutes and have a look at it because it's really very good. Giving baby girl in front row the evil eye. I don't mind that the poor thing is crying. I'm just envious of her bassinet. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this great picture of him sleeping in a kid's bassinet on strapped to the bulkhead. It, it's really cute. Exactly. That's uh, absolutely what I wished uh, I could do every time I fly a coach. Etho, so let's go back a little bit to the UK. Uh, so Etho, we said, oh, yeah, there's a decision that has been made by the airport commission and now uh, things should get moving, but apparently they're not moving. No, right? this they're is bad. They, now, <laughs> they promised that they were going to announce the plan for the Heathrow expansion by the end of this year. And now last week they've come out and said it's not going to happen until the summer at the earliest which is insane. And I'm sure it's politics behind the scene. I'm sure it has a lot to do with the EU vote that's happening here in May. But businesses have just flipped out. So so businesses in general um, have said that this is massively hindering the UK. Airline and airport infrastructure companies are saying that it's hugely... I mean, they're, they're, they're pulling the gloves off. They're, they're, they're saying some pretty um, pretty aggressive things to the government. And it's actually, yeah, the uh, the the chief exec of uh, BA's parent company, IAG, has said that basically, guys, if you don't take a decision sooner, basically, if you don't make Ether happen, we might take our business elsewhere, and they, by that they mean Ireland or Spain. I'm not I'm not saying that they will, you know, suddenly just transfer all the planes. They still need uh, London as a hub, but they say, you know what? If you're blocking the expansion of uh, yeah, London they'll, they'll as a hub, we'll invest yeah. in their hubs in Dublin and Madrid. And that's bad for the UK economy. It and is. it's interesting to, to, to see that because we know that IAG was always a bit not, they didn't want to push the, the third runway too far because they were afraid basically that the government will ask them to pay, pay for it. For partially. it yeah. But still, they like, they really want it. They say, guys, take, make it, make up your mind, take a decision. We need to expand. We're at capacity here. Uh, I'll, I'll put the, the link in the show notes. He has pretty harsh words. As you said, I think you very, you nailed it. The, the gloves are off now. It, they got to do something. It's getting out of hand. I mean, in the time that we've been talking about it, Dubai has built two airports. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, it's true. And we mentioned uh, Istanbul is building a new airport. Mexico is building a new airport. These airports are uh, made yeah. in like China's two, three, just, four years timeline. China's just announced they're building 52 new airports. 52. And, uh, and we can't figure we're out that. About a run, we're talking about a run. run exactly. It's, it's getting out of hand. But to finish with the good news about the UK, for those of you like you who have, I mean, you have both passports, but you have a British passports and travel to the US, Global Entry is finally open for British citizens. This is so good. You don't have to fill out the customs form or any of that. You just go through the glo- the kind of Global Entry fast track. You pay £42 for five years. So it's a hell of a deal. And then you can use the automated entry kiosks it's really, really good. I strongly recommend that you that you invest in this. 
I don't and need I it because I have an American passport, but <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I'm not a UK citizen yet. Maybe I'll apply because it's, you know, I think next year I could theoretically apply. But even without it, I will commend the US uh, Customer and Borders. I don't remember the name of the authority because it's now easier than before. I mean, the last time I was at JFK, for instance, the there are now also automated machines for those who are on the ESTA waiver program, so the visa waiver program. There are selected countries in the world. You don't have to queue as much as you used to. A lot of the process is made through a machine. So it's it's getting better, finally. Maybe not in Miami, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, forget it. So, Beirut, you've been there a few, two, three years ago, I think? Uh, yes, four years ago, almost to the day. So what was your experience about that airport? I flew in and out in the middle of the night or what felt like the middle of the night. So it was a quite a strange, deserted, dilapidated airport. But um, I can't, you know, you can't fault the, the city. I think what you, what's awesome about that airport is no matter whether you're taking off or landing, if you're sat on the right side of the airplane, you get the most spectacular views of Beirut. Absolutely. And I always keep missing that. I always <laughs> sit on the other side twice this time. I mean, I hate. Yeah, you never, yeah, you can't I, predict which way you're going to come in or take off. But yeah, the, the, it's got some great views. It's, so the airport. I mean, it, it has suffered a lot. Obviously, there's been the civil war between '75 and '19, and the airport was rebuilt. There's been also some, of course, some problems in 2006. So you cannot expect to have like it's not you know Dubai or it's not you know Singapore. But for a country of, of four million people, roughly, it's a solid airport. It's as you say, it's not the most glamorous airport. It's not. It's not crappy either. Uh, a few things when you land, because probably most of you probably will, if you arrive there, you're not living in Beirut. When you land, the only thing that actually kind of matters is that immigration can take some time. Yes. So the, my advice would be rush as quickly as you can out of the airplane and get in line with immigration because that takes some time. Then there's no link, no public transport link to the city. Your only ways are two, they're Uber. Obviously, it works actually really well in Beirut. Or uh, airport taxis. Uh, airport taxis are signed. You can see the sign that they are official airport taxis. Take one of the two. Uh, you can also, of course, book private hires and ask your hotel to, to organize your, your trip if you want to. Nothing more to say that. There's a duty-free when you arrive, but nothing special about it. The big thing is when you come back. So when you come back, it's very close to the city. Is about is in the south quarters of the city. Is about depending on traffic and traffic in Beirut can be very impenetrable. Yeah, between twenty to sixty minutes. I averaged at thirty my two times last time. When you arrive, the airport is a bit of a strange layout. You get into the airport and you have to clear not to get into the airport, but to get to the to the check-in counters. You have to clear a first security, a first X-ray machine. It's one that you don't have to put your computer out and everything. You just have to remove uh, your belts and everything and just put everything on a on a big uh, tray. The thing is, though, and that's a bizarre bit. If you arrive too early at the airport at that time. There are two security. One is called East and one is called West. You have to take the one that leads you to your checking counters, meaning that if you arrive too early on the main board, it won't say where you have to go. So don't arrive too early unless you know that the checking counters, for instance, ah, for uh, Emirates are on the West side. So I would, anyway, you don't need too much time. The queue sometimes to clear that security can be long. So take some time. Then you go to the counter, you do the usual thing. And then you, you have to go to immigration, which again uh, can take a, a little bit of time. Uh, so, you know, be patient. And then you have the duty free. Duty free is 
Well, I like, I would say two things. First, Lebanon has great wines, amazing Yes, wines. they do. So they, they really do. There's a section with wine. The guys there are very good at knowing their wines. So ask them. You can buy some. Uh, um, look, of course, of your regulation of your country, how much you can bring. But I've brought some. It's amazing wine. The price is really good. And you can also buy some local delicacies. It's very nice uh, to the shop next door. So this is one thing. Then you have the lounges. Honestly, only the main one, which is called Sedar Lounge, which is also the Middle Eastern MEA, which is the, the local company, is worth it. The two others are just crap. So honestly, if you even if you have an invite, I'm not sure it's actually worth going. And then when you know your gate, again, you have to go through security. This is a more traditional security that we know in other airports that leads you to either the east or the west part of the gates. Again, sometimes might take some time. Take a look before uh, to see how big is the queue. It's a bit slow sometimes. Other than that, it's not an airport that is honestly very beautiful. It's not an airport that is particularly efficient. It's very like in the middle. I mean, I complain sometimes because the queues are too long. So in that sense, it's not great. But it's still not a big airport. So it's okay, I guess. Yeah, honestly. yeah, at, at best. It's nothing uh, to write out of the ordinary, to be, to be honest with you. And of course, don't be put off. You see a lot of military. You're in Lebanon, after all, so mm-hmm. you'll see your usual people with machine guns and everything. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's for your own security, but it's true that it makes you feel a bit sometimes uneasy. We're not in a traditional part of the world there. But uh, you know what? Beirut, for me, is probably my favorite city in the world. It's an amazing city. Wow. So, Go, if you can go. There's a lot of things to see outside of the city, obviously, but Beirut itself is a fantastic city, so I encourage you to go. On that, Alex? It's quite an endorsement. Yeah, I really love it. I mean, not the airport, the city, obviously. Do you travel in these next few weeks or not? No, next trip is Tokyo in January. Ah, yes, I might be going with you there. Uh, Let's hope it works. I'll be in uh, Geneva, so very uneventful trip, I hope so, to uh, to Geneva and back. And then we'll record where it will probably be our last episode of the year. So since I'm not going to see you until then, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to everybody. Enjoy. Don't drink too much. <laughs> and happy travels. <laughs> on behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.